Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Conf Tea with USC, recorded Tuesday, October 20th, 2020. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own, but to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco certified partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young, and unfortunately, Mr. Boyd was not able to uh, join us today, but that's all right. He's with us in spirit, and he sends his regards to all of our listeners. Uh, before we hop into today's episode, I do want to take a moment to just thank all of our listeners for your support over the last ugh, almost two years now. Uh, we actually hit a pretty impressive milestone, at least in, in my opinion, uh, of 20,000 downloads globally uh, last week. So just want to wanted to say thank you to all of you for listening, being early supporter, and getting the word out, sharing it with uh, your colleagues and friends. We love getting messages from you guys telling us how helpful the show has been to you and how much you enjoy it. So please keep them coming. Please keep sharing with your uh, friends and colleagues. And please do rate and review. Uh, it really does help with the algorithms that are at play in the, the various uh, podcasting platforms in terms of getting the, uh, getting the word out. So thanks again. And with that, let's move on to today's episode. Uh, we wanted to take a different approach today with today's episode. We normally sit here and talk about the wide range of products that we have, uh, especially in the security ecosystem. We talk about Talos and uh, there's even an episode on our enterprise agreements. And, you know, we've, we've talked about these things for almost two years now. We wanted to take the time today to hear from a customer who actually went ahead and went forward with a purchase of a Cisco security enterprise agreement. All right, we are here with Andrew Struzik. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Andrew, you are the Senior Director of IT Operations and Cybersecurity over at LLS, which stands for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, wanted to have you on today, and you've been a customer uh, of mine now for a couple of years now, I believe. I believe we've always had LLS. Um, but we've had some discussions back and forth recently, and you've recently made uh, the decision to go with a security enterprise agreement from Cisco. So wanted to have you on the show, uh, get a chance to talk with you about that process so you can share your experience with our listeners. And also really wanted to learn more about uh, what LLS is and, and what it does. So so let's let's start with uh, you yourself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Brian, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a pleasure being here. Uh, this is definitely a, a great opportunity for me to you know chat a little bit about what Cisco has done for LLS and uh, certainly get LLS's name a little bit more visibility, which we can always use these days. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so my, my name is Andrew Struzik. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, I'm not sure where you are, but I have uh, been with LLS now for about two and a half years. Uh, I've been in IT for roughly 30 years or so, uh, various industries and, and verticals over the course of my career. Uh, the majority of my time has been spent in the IT infrastructure space, uh, managing various size organizations, IT environments. So uh, I actually started way back in the late 80s, early 90s, working on Novell. Uh, and actually, my first job in IT was cleaning mainframe hoods. So... <laughs> <laughs> going way back in time, I had the spray bottle and uh, I was in charge of cleaning everybody's screen every morning at a, at a trading floor. So that's how I started many, many years ago. Um, wow. But uh, anyway, so fast forward, uh, it's been a, a great career and a very extensive experience across a lot of different technologies. And I've seen the growth of networks uh, from Novell over to Microsoft and from certainly desktops and going from you know, standard kind of uh, purpose built environments uh, to, you know, very broad-based, you know, networking capabilities at the corporate layer. Uh, watched all that occur and, and really have seen a lot of transformation and improvement over the years as well. So it's been, it's been a great journey. Um, prior to LLS, the last decade or so, probably the most important experience of my career, worked for uh, Computer Sciences Corporation, uh, which is now more commonly known as DXC Technology. Uh, was uh, within their platform services team for a number of years. Uh, worked a number of different customer engagements across different verticals. Worked for a healthcare organization. Uh, worked in the finance space. Worked internally from the platform services perspective and uh, managed a number of accounts ranging in size from you know deals, a ten-year, one-point-five billion-dollar deal, 
um, to kind of internal platform services across the U.S. operations scope. So um, seen a lot of organizations, seen a lot of technology, and uh, very happy to have now spent the last two and a half years with LLS uh, as uh, the leader uh, from an IT operations and cybersecurity perspective. Um, I joined LLS uh, as the director of cybersecurity, plainly, uh, rather than having the IT operations scope as well. Uh, that was recently an area that uh, uh, moved underneath me as well. Um, LLS has actually um, gone through a, a tough time over the last you know, six to 12 months related to COVID, uh, as, as a number of organizations have for sure. And, um, you know, it's been it's affected us as well. So I'm part of that uh, output. Um, I guess that's about it as far as my career and uh, as far as my background. Nice. But I. Um, but I, I, I mean, you, you start off cleaning what you were cleaning the, the, the CRTs. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You, you got to start somewhere. And, uh, and, and for anyone that's, that's currently uh, listening, that's in a position like that, where they feel like they're doing the job of just basically cleaning the CRTs or something similar. Right. Um, you know, you look at, look at Andrew's story here now, the, uh, director of, of IT operations and cybersecurity. So. Um, you know, there's definitely a path forward and, and path up if you, if you keep to it. So use that as uh use that as your ammunition to push yourself. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, I think that's a great story, great success story for yourself personally. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's dive a little bit into what, uh, LLS does and, and what they're all about. Right. So, um, leukemia and lymphoma society, um, why don't you tell us kind of an overview of, of what they do and, uh, what their mission is? Um, so, so yeah, so, uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society was founded, um, back in 1949, uh, when, uh, the family of a gentleman by the name of Robert, uh, Robbie de Villiers, uh, was stricken and succumbed to leukemia in 1944. Uh, his family was greatly impacted by that and they committed themselves and, and their future and really the future of LLS to the eradication of blood cancer as a result. And you know, we started back then from very humble beginnings, and we, we are actually quite a large uh, nonprofit at this point. One of the top, I think, and don't quote me on this, but probably top five or ten largest nonprofits in, in the United States at this point uh, on basis of donations. So um, we're a very uh, broad reach organization. We, uh, before COVID time, when we had office locations spread across the country, we had about 65 offices. Uh, spread across the U.S., uh, roughly about 1,500 to 1,700 uh, full-time employees. Um, and our operations really uh, are dedicated to um, a combination of patient support um, as well as research funding. So we, we, we don't actually have, quote-unquote, a research arm, and we don't do a lot of the, the manual work associated with the research, but we do raise a, a considerable amount of money over the course of the year that essentially really gets used to you know, support patients and help patients with uh, you know, the overarching expenses associated with treating and you know, coming through a disease like, uh, like leukemia. Uh, as well as working with a lot of uh, universities and larger uh, pharmaceutical firms and healthcare organizations to um, research and, and come up with uh, solutions and drug therapies. Um, we've actually been very instrumental in the last three or four years in particular, been very successful uh, with a, a host of new drug treatment therapies uh, for various, very specific forms of, of blood cancers. Um, it's amazing how, how the science has become very specific with respect to this. And I would be the last person to talk on science because to be honest, my wife and my family tell me I am absolutely uh, you know, medically impaired. So I have no idea what I'm talking about with respect to it. I stick to the tech, but from what I understand, from what we're told for our marketing team, I mean, it's amazing how in depth, you know, these, these therapies are now with respect to very specific, you know, gene markers and, you know, specific disease markers such that, you know, we've been very successful in not necessarily eliminating the cancers or, or eradicating them per se, but really extending, you know, the time when a person has in terms of their lifespan, um, reducing the fatality numbers dramatically, you know, in terms of what it used to be, um, 
you know, and and at, back in 1949, right, leukemia was 100% fatal. Like everybody died. I mean, there was no option. You, you, there was no treatment. It didn't exist. Today, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but I know that there are specific forms of leukemia where we're looking at, you know, extended lifespans of 7 to 10 to 15 to 20 years. And in certain instances, situations where a patient, you know, as long as they don't have any of the cross effect factors of a particular treatment or um, uh, they, they are, you know, they don't have any of the side effects and, and they're, 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 uh, the remainder of their medical kind of out, uh, makeup is, is able to sustain the treatment for a long period of time, uh, they will stay alive as long as they're able to stay on the drug. So, you know, it's, it's amazing the, the extent of the, the improvement we've made. And, and it's actually really a, a pleasure to work at LLS uh, because you know, it really is good to uh, not just work for the, the bottom line, ultimately, at the end of the day. You know, there's, there's more you're doing than just generating cash for, uh, for the shareholder. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a noble cause. And it sounds like, as well, you should be. You're very proud to get behind and, and support a company that does that right that that has that such a noble cause behind it absolutely absolutely and and it's a great organization too from a professional perspective as well it's um has a very active board i mean not all nonprofits can say that right as a, as a very active board that's very very integrated and uh is very um very incentivized to the success of the organization, which is great. Uh, made up of a number of high, high, uh, former high executives and current high executives in industry that their expectation is that, you know, the organization is going to operate itself as a, a functional, really effective business. Um, and, and LS does a great job of that. That's awesome. So you mentioned before that you definitely, uh, as as a company and as uh, in your role in IT, definitely faced some struggles uh, with with COVID. Uh, but I want to focus on the security aspect of your role, and I'm curious to know what kind of uh, struggles that you faced with in regards to security, even before COVID, uh, and then of course uh, after as well. Um, so when I first joined the, my predecessors had, uh, a fairly decent technology stack deployed, right? I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but it was fairly decent. Um, mm-hmm. there were some issues with gaps that we were able to identify pretty easily up front. Um, I would say that probably the biggest challenge that I had up front when I first joined was twofold. One was from a process and, and policy kind of blocking and tackling governance perspective. Okay, there, there literally was none. I mean, it was like the wild, wild west. So mm. that was a challenge that needed to be remediated and quickly. Um, I guess the second most important item that needed to be remediated was just general um, perimeter hygiene. You know, there was there's a lot of issues with perimeter hygiene. Um, things were not done properly. Uh, you know the documentation and, and kind of the the history around what things were there, what things were available, what things weren't uh, needed to be updated, and, and was sorely out of date. Um, and there were other gaps, right? So like we had technologies in place that, uh, to be honest, were not. They weren't either deployed um, collectively in a way that provided the functionality that was intended. They were kind of left off and, and deployed, but not really deployed properly. Um, and there was no overarching connectivity or model that was used in many cases. You know, it was, okay, here's a solution. Let's deploy this because it looks cool. Or, you know, let's deploy this because we have a problem here. And because of that, everything was very helter-skelter. There was not a lot of continuity in the approach. And it's almost as though there was very little architectural uh, planning before anything was deployed. So getting past that was a challenge. Uh, And I guess the only other item I'll mention was PCI. We, we, we realized up front uh, early on when I joined, I realized that PCI was a concern. We needed to get our arms around that, and we did. Um, that was the first uh, biggest item that I really had to wrangle on for the first three to six months after being there. It was kind of isolating that, uh, eliminating that as a risk, 
uh, and putting us in a really strong PCI position. So yeah, it sounds like, and I've 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 kind of heard this, and I think I've I've lived it myself, uh, going into different roles, right, where you kind of in, inherit um, a new network that you have to look into and poke holes on, and and just test certain things, right? And you're looking at maybe the way that the culture was in terms of the users used to being able to do whatever they want and not having those controls in place and just trying to evaluate what you have to do and um, what you have to change to secure, secure the environment. Um, so that's, that's definitely something I can, I can uh, relate with you on for sure. Um, so I did, did COVID bring any, new security challenges for you guys um, in in terms of um, users having to, to work remotely or anything along those lines? Um, fortunately for us, uh, so it did, obviously. And so we had to go to a remote work environment uh, where mm-hmm. everyone was remote. All of our offices are officially closed and will be officially closed until September of 2021. So organizationally, we're going to be in a remote mode for quite some time. Um, Fortunately, our organization is really pretty well equipped to deal with that. You know, we've we've always had a considerable amount of remote work that was done. And, you know, our our technology stack and really positioned us well to be able to move into that 100 percent. I mean, there were gaps for sure, and there are gaps still that we need to, you know, address as part of um, certainly the Cisco EA that you know, we talked about earlier and mentioned is, is certainly a big component of that. Um, but you know, we've got your blocking and tackling in place. You've got, you know, we're using the VPNs. We're, you know, we've got um, most of our clouds, most of our services, in fact, are cloud delivered. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, we're in a very good position because, a lot of um, the capabilities to access whatever is needed on a day-to-day basis are already there from an employee right. perspective. So they don't even really notice a difference in many cases. Um, so we've got that in our back pocket. Um, we've got you know some pretty good technology from the perspective of two-factor and authentication controls so that you know we, we've got um, good security in place there that allows us to be you know fairly confident in that environment. Um, and, you know, our employees um, are actually kind of used to being on the move. You know, a lot of our folks in the field were as a fundraising kind of entity. They're always at events or they're always at different places. They're bringing their laptop around to, to you know, uh, have a client meeting or have a constituent conversation or whatever it might be. So that environment is is very much part of how we operate it anyway. So it actually worked out pretty well for us overall. Nice. Yeah. And I think... I think it's very similar to what a lot of other customers were facing with, right? When, when COVID hit and everyone had to kind of move to a, uh, a larger or even completely a remote work kind of situation, obviously with customers and, and uh, having a lot of their services in the cloud, that made things a lot easier because they're inherently just easier to access from outside the network, right? It, you don't have to worry about poking holes in the firewall, um, obtaining more public IP addresses, setting up proxies, uh, expanding your VPN coverage, et cetera, just to allow people to use applications when they're in the cloud, right? You don't have to worry about any of that. Um, but there were definitely some shifts, I think, with all of our customers in terms of okay, well, now that I've moved all of my workforce remote, there's the people that, okay, we got some percentage of the of your users that are used to working remotely and have no problem doing that. It's not that big of a change. But then you have other ones that are like, well, can I take my monitor home? Like they, they're so used to that desktop in the office, going to the office and having, you know, everything there. Uh, there's a little bit more uh, that's that's required to get them operational and, and up and running. Uh, I know my mother-in-law, for example, she works, uh, well, I won't say where, where she works, but she works at uh, an oil company and they were inherently not very open to people working from home. And they've started moving people off and she's working at, out of her home now. And 
it was a it was a big struggle for them. I, I I saw them kind of going through it and just trying to figure out, okay, where can we get some laptops? How do we get them on the VPN? How do we do this? How, we, how do we do that? And really just shifting to that. So, you I know, mean, every customer has had some level of uh, um, difficulty in trying to get their users off. But it sounds like for the most part, you had the pieces in place. You just had to scale them up. Would that be accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and and we still have those challenges too. And we've still got, I mean, right. you know, LLS has challenges to this degree, just like everybody else does. You've got some users are better than others. Um, we continue <laughs> to identify gaps, right? Where, right. Um, you know, there, there are things that we need to do to better support the environment. A perfect example is, you know, we had a um, internal monitoring tool that we were using to monitor traffic and uh, on our various uh, office interconnection links. And, and we were uh, doing traffic shaping and all kinds of interesting stuff. Well, you know, obviously that's been useless for the last right. you know, six or seven <laughs> months. And, yep. you know, what, what we've come to the realization is that what we really need is some way to see what's happening at the endpoint perspective so that right. we can assess what, you know, an end user is seeing and why. And you know, as a result, we've kind of changed our focus, you know, and and we've had those discussions. What do we cover? Like what are we what are we doing for the end user in that position? You know, are we supporting their local wireless network? I mean, which we don't want mm. to, but are we? Um, you know, what are we doing for um, you know troubleshooting in that instance? How much are we taking responsibility for? How much are we not? Um, you know, so there's all those other questions that are still coming through and, and we're still maturing that. I mean, even in in the world of, you know, web conferencing, which is a huge, important layer these days, it's become a real headache when it comes to the help desk. You know, lots of people looking for support for meetings and, and look for support for webinars. And we've had to transition a lot of our fundraising events and fundraising activities. I mean, LLS is essentially a fundraising machine that depends on large events and large numbers of people to come and do stuff. You know, so right. we have um, one of our marquee events is Light the Night, for example, which is the fall season. It's uh, an event where uh, we're basically mem- you know, memorializing a lot of folks and bringing kind of awareness. Uh, and, and it's really kind of a get together. It's a sharing of you know, experience for all intent and purposes for you know, cancer patients and their families and for people who are supporting them and you know, trying to raise funds. And we kind of make it fun. We kind of make it competitive. It's a little bit more like a fall kind of um, a fall festival kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody gets different colored lanterns depending on your disposition and, and stuff of that nature. Well, you know, there are some late the night events that are huge in, in Philadelphia, for example, last year, I think we had 25,000 people at the late the wow. night event. Well, you can't do that in COVID. It's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So how do you transition that? You know, well, obviously we've been trying to work that in, the, in a virtual world and actually we're going to have, you know, a lot of our light the night events will be virtual. We've put a lot of effort into trying to make that functional, but that requires a lot of work and it requires a lot of personnel, a lot of time to make that happen. So, you know, getting those resources, making sure they're available, prioritizing that kind of work and supporting the business in a different way has probably been, you know, some of the bigger challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you said, right, outside of just the operational level of making sure that um, your users can continue to do work from home, and as much as you don't want to support their home wireless router, you kind of, to an extent, have to, because if they can't connect, they can't do their work. But even bigger than that, uh, the the bigger picture, and I'm, I'm glad you touched on it, is how does the company continue doing what they do when a majority of what they do requires, you know, crowds and gatherings and events where in, in this COVID world we're living in right now may or, you know, may, may not even be possible, or if it is, has to be reduced significantly in terms of how many people can be there, how far apart they need to be. That could change the event venue, for example. Uh, you know, there's all those other considerations that now your organization has to deal with uh, and figure out and, and work their way around. Um, sure. it, it's, it sounds like it's, it's had a huge effect on you guys. Yeah, no, it absolutely has. I mean, we, we've, we've canceled all in-person events 
um, up until I think next summer, I think is the earliest we're thinking. So summer of 2021, uh, being able to do in-person events again. So, you know, we've really transitioned fully virtual um, and we actually had some really good success already so far with it. I mean, we did a, what was a virtual big climb. So we have a new product that we were, uh, we started up a number of months ago. It's not really new. I guess it's been around for a little bit, but it's really hasn't been uh, largely marketed or kind of brought to prominence. And um, recently we, we focused on that quite a bit um, and we were supposed to have uh, I don't know if you're familiar with some of these events that they do in the cities where like the firefighters will climb up a tower and, you know, they'll carry their gear or whatever for charity and stuff like that. So um, we have a similar event called Big Climb and it was scheduled to happen at a, a number of office towers simultaneously coordinated across the country. So uh, one of our major partners, um, one of our close actually supporting partners is Salesforce. And um, they actually were allowing us to use their towers for this purpose to do these to do these events. Mm -hmm. um, and what ended up happening was obviously COVID happened, so we couldn't do this live in the events. Well, we kind of transitioned that into a virtual big climb where we had uh, some technical support and developed ourselves like a virtual climbing kind of environment where you could say that you were climbing, you know, the uh, I don't know. Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, for argument's sake. Um, and instead, you were climbing your back stairs and your deck going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? right so right. Uh, that's how we did it. And it was actually a great success. We had a lot of people had a lot of fun with it. Um, a lot of family members ended up doing it that probably wouldn't have ended up doing it if they had to go somewhere to do it. So it right. actually worked out okay. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing how, you know, it, a little bit of ingenuity and, and thinking out of the box really can kind of make things, you know, move forward, uh, regardless of the challenges that you run into. So I think we've, we've tried our best and we're going to continue to try our best through the next several seasons. And, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to get a, a light the night season in the fall next year where everybody gets to go out in the fall and enjoy the nice cool air and, and, and get their, uh, their lanterns out and have some, some fun outside as opposed to what we're dealing with this year. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope for that. Now, is there going to be a virtual light the night, uh, this, this year or did it already pass? Oh, no, it's still it, all of the various cities and areas have their own. So there's actually a number of them that are recurring. Um, okay. And if you wanted to get involved, uh, if you visit uh, the website is actually light the night dot uh, org. So it's light the night dot uh, org. And um, you can look at all the you can actually enter in your zip code and find out what walks, uh, virtual walks are you know being held by the chapters that are near you. And uh, and participate virtually, or you know, simply you know, contribute to if uh, any team or anyone who is participating in those. Um, like I said, normally it's a walk; you walk a, a long distance around an area that that gets you know pre you know, pre set up and pre pre kind of done. But um, you know, this will be a little bit different. But you know, still your support is absolutely critical to us. So yeah, absolutely, you still get involved. Nice, and we'll be sure to include the the link for that as well in the show notes for lightthenight.org. Um, but no, that's, that's great that, that you've figured out a way to do things and adjust and, and pivot, uh, which is especially necessary in these times. So you have been, uh, with LLS now for two and a half years. I think majority of that time we've been working together as your, as your partner here at Cisco. Um, just curious, what made you guys or you specifically choose to go with Cisco? What is, what has been the reasoning behind, um, choosing Cisco? Um, I, to be completely honest, I, I, I think it's, it's, I think it probably really goes back to, um, what I talked about earlier with respect to, uh, kind of having an architected holistic approach mm -hmm. to the way that we wanted to deal with the gaps that we've identified, uh, and that we wanted to get better at with respect to our current, uh, you know, infrastructure framework. So, um, a security framework for that matter. It, basically, you know, we, we had a, a competing firm, uh, actually a couple of competing firms doing some things for us in this area. Um, we also have a longstanding relationship with Cisco, to your point, right? So we've been working with you guys for a while. Um, we've got the ASAs in our environment. We've got using the VPN. You know, we're using more of the traditional Cisco 
Uh, well, and actually, there's all the call center stuff as well. Um, you know, the the phones. So, you know, we we've had a long-standing relationship with Cisco, and, and we're very familiar and comfortable with the Cisco environment and Cisco products. So, you know, it made sense for us to, you know, when we were looking at how do we do this, um, you know, how do we how do we move this forward the best way. Um, it made sense for us to go in that direction. And honestly, I think Cisco over the last couple of years as have a lot of providers, to be honest, a lot of large providers um, really tried to assemble and create a holistic security architecture environment that -hmm. allows a client to go to you guys and say, Hey, you know, this is my situation. You know, how do I architect a solution to best cover all my, all my bases. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with your, uh, with Cisco's, um, uh, you know, purchase or you know, whatever it is of Duo, um, your umbrella uh, environment, all those capabilities tied together really make a compelling argument, right? To be able to say, hey, here's, here's a solution I can go with where um, I think it covers almost everything you need. Uh, I can lump it into some of the existing technology we're using today. Uh, from a cost perspective, there's no issues there. You know, your pricing is definitely you know, as competitive as anyone else in the business. So there's no reason why we can't you know, move in that direction. So it was it was a good time for us. Um, there were some honestly, well, and I guess let me take a step back. Right, LLS is a nonprofit. It is an organization that um, doesn't modify or update or replace its technology every day. You know, we, we have difficult you know, financial conditions and issues that we need to deal with. So, you know, just like every other organization that's strapped for cash and kind of working within a, a really tight budget, you know, we've held on to stuff for a long time. We, we've right. had technology out there for a while and you know, it was, it was time for us to make some changes in a couple areas and, and all of it really just ties together and gave us an opportunity to, to leverage a, a more overarching agreement that gets us really where we want to be. Nice. And I, and I do remember when we first started talking about this, I think, oof, maybe back in March, um, when we first started talking about this, I, actually, if I'm looking at the dates correctly, this is actually right before everything really shut down. Um, but we first started having these conversations around the the security, and I took the time to listen to kind of where your pain points were and where you needed more visibility, where those gaps were, and kind of how things were going to be changing, especially over the next couple of weeks as COVID kind of shut everything down. Um it made more and more sense to me from my point of view to kind of start showing you the benefits of a security enterprise agreement. Now, we've had episodes on our podcast where we've kind of d- uh, dove a little bit deeper into what an enterprise agreement is, how does it work. And since they've been introduced at Cisco, they've changed and updated the the requirements and kind of the sizing guides, right? You have to have a minimum of X and that number has gotten smaller and allowed it for more customers to be able to go into an EA. And the benefits usually outweigh uh, the costs that are associated with it. In fact, the costs usually aren't even much of an issue because the costs go down with an agreement. And as you said, even though Cisco always has that stigma of being the, the more expensive uh, in the in the group of competitors, when you start really looking at everything that you're getting with a Cisco product, the prices are usually uh, the same or, or less. Um, so we, we, we try to, we try to compete w- fairly there, but for you guys, we were talking about, I think at the time we were talking about three products. I think we were talking about fire, uh, firepower firewalls. Uh, we were talking about umbrella and I think the topic of ice came up. And as we started talking more, we realized you, you're already using AnyConnect and you, you currently had um, an agreement there that was uh, coming up for renewal at some point. And the conversation around the multi-factor piece, which, as you said, since our acquisition of Duo, multi-factor has really been kind of that, that last nail in the coffin, when it, per se, when it comes to all the things that you need to have for a zero-trust security model, which is the thing that we've been talking about at Cisco now for a long time. It goes. It went along very well with our uh, with our security story, our better together security story. Where if you have all these different products covering these different pieces and communicating with each other, everything works better together. And these are the conversations that you and I had. And it sounds like 
you agreed with them that you didn't think I was just blowing smoke. And uh, I was able to kind of show you the, the proof of that, right? Or otherwise, I don't think you would have uh, uh, agreed to the to the EA or agreed to be on this show. <laughs> <clears throat> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I do agree with all of that, and and I and I do think that, um, I mean, obviously the proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, I think that right. I think that um, you know, for us, it was a good decision. Uh, to all your points that you made, I think they're all valid. Um, I think that. Honestly, for me, if an organization, especially if an organization has like an existing Cisco investment, right, mm -hmm. and it's an existing Cisco platform suite that they're comfortable with and that they're using and that is something that, um, I mean, you know, is doing what it needs to do, uh, you know, it, it, it can make sense absolutely to examine expanding that footprint. I mean, I think that, right. I think that, I think that there's a lot that's changed over the last X number of years when it comes to um, how you architect your, uh, I'll just say your framework when it comes down to your, either if it's security or infrastructure, it doesn't matter how you architect your framework and, and how you um, are vendor agnostic or mm -hmm. vendor or, or not vendor agnostic. I, I think that there's a different world these days than it used to be. Um, let's take, for example, you know, the old adage, right? No one ever got fired for buying Cisco. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's kind of true, right? I think that it, it's probably the case. You know, I think if you, no one's ever going to fire you for buying a Cisco switch, right? No one's ever going right. to fire because it's not, because it's going to work. It's going to do what it needs to do. Um, over the years, by expanding the capabilities that you provide and by uh, expanding your footprint, as you said, right, adding the pieces, adding Duo, adding Umbrella, all these other areas. Um, in my experience, you know, there's two sides to this coin. Some people will say that you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You want mm -hmm. to use heterogeneous technologies. You know, I don't want to use Umbrella. I want to use Zscaler, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to use... Duo, I want to use another solution. Um, and because I don't want to have to always be beholden to the same vendor and the same solution and the same conversation all the time, right? I want to split everything up and I want to be able to be nimble and agile and I can change and I can do this, I can do that. The reality is that the business doesn't really like to change, mm -hmm. right? When it comes to the technology, no one wants to change technology for the sake of changing technology. Mm -hmm. It's it's bad business. It's it's time consuming. And quite honestly, the the you know, years ago when technology was kind of a back office effort and a lot of people didn't have to interact with it on a day to day basis and it wasn't such a critical component you know, of everyone's world. I think that made sense. I think that today um, I've explained it recently, most recently to our CIO by saying, and actually in, a, in another conversation I had with another vendor recently, every organization is an IT organization these days mm -hmm. because it is core competency and critical to just about any business to be able to function adequately in today's world, to have some degree of IT skill set, to have the ability to, um, uh, to be able to depend on their infrastructure and their solutions to do what they need to do and to simplify the world that their employees need to work with as much as possible, right? Within mm -hmm. a, within a security centric view to, to make the business function and change is not one of those positive effects. Change is right. a bad thing. So I look at, you know, a solution like this as a, a you know, a holistic view with, um, you know, uh, not homogeneous solution set that allows you to be um, confident that, you know, if I need assistance or if I need support with this gear or with these solutions that we, we purchased, I know I can get that. Right. Um, we were significant, that one, you know, that one throat to choke kind of uh, situation. Yeah, I, I know. I've absolutely, I know I've got an agreement. I know that you, know, you guys are, are on with us for the long haul and, and mm -hmm. if I need help and it's not really a throat to choke <clears throat> as much as it is, I know I'm going to get support. I know I'm going to get the support I need. Um, right. So that's important. Um, having the ability to, you know, extend with the same taxonomy and the same ecosystem is helpful to us because it's a smaller organization. We're not huge. 
Um, you know, we're not going to develop expertise in 4,000 different product suites. It's not going to happen. Um, and this gives us that capability as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a win-win for us. Um, it's a big step for us from the perspective of taking on a couple of these areas that we've never taken on in the past. So that's important. And, and the last leg of that stool, as I mentioned before, was the upgrade perspective. You know, we've, we've upgraded a couple of technologies with the agreement, uh, specifically ICE in particular, getting that out there, you know, getting that on top of ACS, hugely important. Um, to be able to, you know, provide a a secure environment for hopefully the future, you know, not just today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the EA has helped accelerate some of the the security plans that maybe you guys were uh, planning to implement, like a multi-factor, stuff like that, or did it really just kind of help close up those gaps? It's more of a culmination, I think, rather than an incentivization, you know, or an instigator. I think that we've been had this stuff on our radar. I've had it on my radar for years. So, you know, all these things are stuff that we knew we needed to do. Um, and and I guess really also from an edification perspective, you know, Cisco has been a good partner and, and they, you guys were able to kind of work this at the right time for us, too, which was important. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things conspired, really. And this is kind of a culmination. I think the deployment aspect is going to be uh, take a little while for us. Obviously, we don't have a ton of resources to throw at a couple of these things. So it's going to take us a little bit to get ice rolled out and get these things up and running. But, right. um, you know, for us, this this really says, hey, you know what, we've, we've spent the dollars, we've got the licenses. And it's almost an incentivization to a certain extent to say, OK, we've got the tech. Let's get this thing out there ASAP so we're not sitting on it. So I think that right. that's a good thing, too. And I'm, I'm glad you touched on the the hetero versus kind of the homogeneous kind of solutions where, as you said, there's definitely some merit, I think, or at least there was, behind wanting to have the best in breed from multiple vendors in your solution, right? There are there are a ton of security vendors and products out there and from all the way from the enterprise level down to the consumer level. And a lot of them do their job very, very well. There are some that are obviously better than others, but there's always been an argument, I think, that you could say, well, if I'm able to kind of take, uh, look, look at the Gartner Magic Quadrant or whatever, and just grab in all the things I need, right? CASB, uh, MFA, firewall, network access and control, and just grab whoever's in the upper right-hand corner the most and just put that product in. And now I've got the best in breed of every single vendor that's out there, according to Gartner Magic Quadrant. The, the problem with that, and I think the reason why that idea has shifted, at least in security, is that when you have all these different silos, right? Because if you have uh, vendor A doing your network access control, and you have vendor B doing your firewall, and you have vendor C doing your your multi-factor, well, what's the guarantee they're going to be able to communicate with each other? If they're not designed, you know, either by the same vendor or with the open APIs that would be required to do that kind of communication back and forth, you're not going to get all the additional security benefits that you would if they were actually talking to each other, right? Having your firewall know that an endpoint has been infected and telling it to tell ICE or whatever to to move it to a, a, a quarantine VLAN, that's huge for you. That takes a lot of the pressure off the IT teams to have to do that manually. And it's able to respond a lot faster than any manual intervention could. So Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm really glad you touched on that because I do have customers that I talk to still today. They're like, no, we're, we've been doing it this way. This is kind of the way we want to do it. We don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket. Um, and it's understandable. There's, there's, there's arguments, there's valid arguments behind that. Right. And the, the one I, the one I, I chuckled at was, well, what if, uh, what if Cisco, you know, goes bankrupt tomorrow? Well, I don't think that's going to happen, but, but you take, take the name Cisco out and put any of those vendors in there, right? If, if you were to invest in company A and you put all of your eggs in that basket, there's always the, the likelihood that that could happen. With Cisco, I mean, we've been around for a while. We've got money in the bank. I think we're going to be okay. But I, underst- I understand the reasoning behind that. But as you said, the, the relationship and the partnership that, that we've had, you know, the you know, LLS team and, and, our, and our team here at Cisco has been has been strong and again 
when I started talking to you about this, it really was not about what more could I shove down your throat to sell you. And I, I hope that that resonated with you. I hope you were, didn't think that was what I was trying to do. No, it was about- no. To that point, honestly, I, don't, don't mean to interrupt, but I, to that <laughs> point, I, you know what? Honestly, we, you guys didn't even listen to me half the time at first. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. You guys were like, oh, you don't need that. You don't need that. I was like, no, no, we, we kind of do, right? And, and so it ended up morphing into more than it originally was because, right. you know, I, it, was, it was one of those things where we, we needed to understand as much as you did kind of what we wanted and how we right. wanted to do it. So I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and, and that was, was a thing down our throat. <laughs> well, that's, that's good to hear. But then that's the point is, is that just understanding what you need and then from your end, understanding what we can offer and just knowing how to navigate around that and having that relationship. That's what's so vital to this, right? That's why our relationship is as strong as it is. And you know that if you need to call me and ask a question about, whatever product it is, right? Actually, I think uh, I've got a, a, f- a phone call with uh, one of your one of your colleagues next week, actually, to talk about Umbrella. Um, but you guys know that you can reach out to us and that we are partners in your success, right? In, in your organization's uh, information technology success. Uh, we feel that we have just as much skin in the game as you do, or at least that's, that's what I, how I want you to feel. Because, you know, ultimately, I, I personally, and maybe this is my own fault, I, I care about what happens to my customers, right? When I, when I get a phone call uh, that a customer has been breached or something happened and, and something wasn't configured right and it, it got through or something, you know, that, that stuff kind of bothers me. It's like, well, no, that's, I, that's not what I wanted to have happen. I, I hate to see that happen. So I do take your success uh, or failure very personally. And that's, that's why it made, it made sense for us. And I think, as you said, all the stars really just align with this timing-wise and everything. Just say, hey, listen, let's talk about an EA for you guys. You're you're halfway there with the products that you have. These are the things you're looking to add on. I can take the whole thing uh, whole thing together, bundle it up in a nice package for you. Uh, we worked with finance, made it made it a really good uh, deal for you guys uh, financially. And you know, because again, you guys are a nonprofit. It's not like you're going out there and, and buying new new switches and APs every every three years, right? You're not refreshing the hardware that quickly. You're not looking to buy new products all the time either. So just making right. sure that it all it all worked out for you guys. And, and that sounds actually, like it did. Yeah, it did. No, absolutely. And that's actually a really good point too, right? I think that I think that um, everybody's different. And I think that if I'm, you know, a, a, a major financial organization that has a ton of resources and I have a different refresh model and, and I'm out there with, you know, as many uh, as many skill set people as I can find and I've got dollars to throw at this stuff. Sure. I mean, I can, I can take the Gardner magic quadrant and load it up and just roll with it. I mean, that's fine. I can do that. I wouldn't suggest it. I still don't think it's the right call. Even if you've got that, and probably most of those guys don't either. They probably mix that with a grain of salt every once in a while. But I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, they, they, it comes down to you know, what makes the most sense for you as an organization. And, and I think that years ago, you know, you'd, you'd be looked at like you had four heads if all you did was go with one provider. But today mm-hmm. there's so many providers and there's so many options that, you know, to not have any interaction or capability between them. And there are ways to do that, right? You can get yourself a good SIM if you want to go that route. There are ways you can do these things, but they're labor intensive. They're hard to do. And a lot of times it's just beneficial to try to keep things a little simpler. So that's the way I look at it anyway. Yeah. And especially with security. So very cool. Um, So back to what LLS does. Um, You mentioned the Light the Night event. We're going to put the link on the show notes for anyone that's interested in checking that out and participating. Any Anywhere else, uh, any other things that you would suggest our listeners to, to do or look at to, to support the LLS cause? Well, it's, it's actually... Um I mean, it's, it's interesting because ever since I joined LLS, you know, there's so many people I speak to on a daily kind of weekly basis, whether it's partners or vendors or whoever it is. And, you know, it's amazing how many people at one level or another are, have been and are affected by, you know, blood cancer. It's, you just, Mm -hmm. people will come up to me in the middle of a conversation and say, yeah, you know, my, my cousin, 
you know, he had leukemia. We said, we, we did a team and training event a couple of years ago. And I met this woman at a conference once and she said, yeah, you know, my, my cousin, you know, she, she had uh, a lymphoma. And so we, we started doing team and training. Now I do marathons every year with you guys. And so it, it's, it's really great to hear, um, it, as far as getting involved. And, you know, if you're in that position, you know, feel free to go to LLS.org. Um, we have a ton of different uh, kind of seasonal events that you can certainly become a part of, um, certainly contributing. If you don't feel as though you, know, you have the time or you're just not that type of individual, that's fine, too. You know, you can certainly contribute. Um, and, you know, if you ever need any assistance or anything along those lines, uh, there's a lot of resources out on our website um, that all tie back to kind of our resource center. Uh, we have a number of 800 numbers and a lot of really, really super skilled people who know a ton about, you know, kind of working the healthcare system and understanding how to assist people who have questions or have issues or whatever the case might be with their treatment or, you know, need some support or, or information or, or even just even just a emotional, you know, type of support in a time where things are not really uh, as well as you might want them to be. So, you know, I think that uh, we're always there to help uh, constituents in any way, shape or form. And if anybody ever needs assistance, you know, go to LLS.org for sure. And you'll find some way there that uh, if you can't or, or, or aren't unable or unable to, sorry, are unable to you know, participate, um, certainly we're, we're there to support and assist in any way we can for anyone who has uh, you know, blood cancers or is impacted by it. Great stuff, Andrew. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for being a Cisco customer and for, for taking the time to come on the show today to talk about um, your yourself, your career, LLS, and um, kind of the, the our relationship with Cisco and, and you guys moving to an EA with us. Really appreciate your time and everything that you do. Brian, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Well, you know, I, I don't think I can really add any more to this episode, to be honest with you. I think Andrew really touched on all the points that were necessary. Uh, I do want to reiterate uh, that uh, if you can, please do support LLS. Uh, go to LLS.org or LightTheNight.org to find ways that you can support LLS in your local area. And um, really, I mean, it's just it's a great program. They're doing amazing things. And uh you know, be sure to share the word out and see uh, see who else you can uh, get interested in, in getting involved in this program. And with that, I think we'll call this one a wrap. So thank you for listening to ConfT with ERSE. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. And if you like the show, please rate and review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified when we publish an episode every two weeks. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config.